You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Half hour! Hello, and welcome to Half Hour, an entertainment podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. I'm Jeff. And I'm Richie. And we're here to bring you a casual conversation on the shows, films, concerts, and music that we see, listen to, and observe throughout our careers. Today's conversation will feature current pop music hits from the second half of August, and you can follow along and listen to the music we are discussing by going to our Instagram and TikTok account at Half Hour Podcast and click the link in our bio and save and listen to the curated playlist because we spent so much time curating it for you. So go, so go uh, follow it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, as always, in our pop episodes today, um, we will start with our artist spotlight. And today we're going to be ha- highlighting this artist called Lady Gaga. Some of you may know her and some of you may not. But if you don't, you live under a rock. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. So anyway, <laughs> we are going to be talking about her... Sixth studio album, Chromatica, and we're also going to be talking about the Chromatica Ball because we just went to it recently, and we're going to bring this album back because this was Lady Gaga's sixth studio album that she released during the pandemic. It was released on May 29th, 2020, and this brought Lady Gaga back to her dance pop roots after putting out Joanne and after starring in A Star Is Born, which also had the album that went with it. And she worked very closely with the producer Blood Pop and many other producers uh, to execute this fun Chromatica album. So overall, I'll I'll start with giving my thoughts first, unless Mm -hmm. you wanted to go first. No, you can go first. I'll go first. Um, I actually really liked where Gaga brought this album back to her dance pop roots It was a really fun album, especially during the pandemic, to kind of just have something to listen to with her singles like Stupid Love and Rain On Me that featured Ariana Grande and some of the other songs, too. They're very good, like Sour Candy and Alice. Uh, They're they're fun songs. Um, But yeah, she was supposed to have this tour as well, Chromatica Ball, and now they finally brought it back. So I would say that this album was great. And it was fun. I, and I'm really excited to see what she's going to do next with the album. But what were your thoughts on this album? So I really liked this album. I thought it was great that I love how every album is so different. I just really do. This kind of brought it back to some older style and flair for her. Some uh, loud energy, fun. Um, I thought it was great. Releasing it during the pandemic? Sure. Why not? I mean, I think a lot of people were not. So, like, keep doing you. And I think that's great. The the concert coming two years later, um, that is tough. And we can talk about the concert in a second. I mean, I know right now we're just talking about the album. Yes. I feel like as just an album alone, it's a great album for us. It's not my favorite. No. It's not her it worst either. I think it's just a good, nice, awesome, great album. And I think it's great. And I think that she'll continue to do music like this. And hopefully she will continue moving forward like that. But I did like it. I really did. Yeah, me too. I think overall as like a... Lady Gaga has this interesting career, I feel like, and we kind of, like, touch on her a little bit here and there, but, like, she starts off in this pop space with releasing, like, Just Dance and Poker Face and Love Game and and to go on to, like, do The Fame Monster and Born This Way and Bad Romance, and we always had these big, like, pop anthem hits from her. To where she then went into doing A Star Is Born and Joanne and the two albums with Tony Bennett. So it's interesting that she kind of left pop for a little bit 
and went and did these other albums. And now we're back to doing Chromatica. And I, I'm kind of wondering, like, is it working fully for her as her brand? I don't know. Like, what do you think? Yeah, I think it uh, it does because she just did a concert last year with Tony Bennett. And then she did this. And then and she did Joanne. And, like, mm-hmm. she has all these – there's no formula for her. Yeah. And that's great. And I say this all the time here. She doesn't need to follow a formula. She doesn't need to do something at a specific time just because someone's telling her. She could wake up tomorrow and release a classical music mm-hmm. album and people would still – like, I don't – yeah. I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with what she's doing. I don't I, I do really don't say that about a lot of artists. Because a lot of artists I will say, well, oh, I don't know about that. Maybe they should have done this, maybe they should have done that. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, she's gonna do whatever she wants to do. And you know that, you know? Yeah. I think also what's interesting about this album is like I said, it was released during the pandemic. Do you think that this album may have been ahead of its time? Mm, I'm wondering. So my concern with the timing of all this comes down to, I personally think the album should have been released and a concert should have immediately followed. And because she couldn't do that, I wonder if it would have been better for her to hold on releasing the album to like this May and instantly doing the Chromatica Ball. It would have been like the Chromatica album, the Chromatica Ball, and it would have flowed right into the next. Maybe it would have even worked if she was able to do it last summer. But two whole years between the release, to me, that's tough. I mean, she still has her fans. She still sold it out. She still has no problem selling the tickets and getting people excited for it. But it's hard to say, oh, I did this, but you're not going to hear me do it live for two years. I obviously understand that was out of her control because of the pandemic. But I wonder if she could have just said, you know what, I'm going to wait a minute and release this a little closer to when the pandemic's ending or coming to some sort of a different part of the time of the world and she could have been like boom here it is now go dance yeah because a lot of people couldn't go dance to this in summer of 2020 right or enjoy it maybe the way she originally wanted to in a club setting of some kind well i think what was hard for a lot of these artists was she was already starting to release the the singles Mm. so i believe stupid love had already been released and we were already just waiting for this album because the album was actually delayed it was supposed to come out earlier in april and she had moved it because i think when we first shut down it was like oh okay i'm just gonna delay my album a couple of weeks but then it went a lot longer right and i can't keep delaying it this album is sitting here it's ready to go i've already at least released two singles do i just hold off Uh you know and i think like a prime example for this is like dua lipa was around the same time as putting this her album out so she was releasing singles she put her album out and she just dropped the whole thing Mm -hmm. during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and i think like oh okay everyone was dancing to it they were listening to it all summer and the same with gaga but i you know i think with dua Dua just hopped on, like, when tour started coming back, she was like, all right, we're bringing the tour back now. I'm not going to wait till summer. And we saw her, what, in March? March in New York City, yeah. Mm -hmm. So even then, March would have been, what, still two two years years from it. But I don't know. It didn't seem like we were waiting that long for it yeah. because I just think we hadn't been back to concerts but yet. But I also period. think it comes down to the venue and mm-hmm. as large as Madison Square Garden is, it's still a little bit more intimate than um, MetLife where we went yeah. to see the Chromatica Ball. And fun fact about the New York show last week uh, at MetLife of the Chromatica Ball was that um, it was her largest ticketed audience she's ever performed for mm-hmm. in her whole life. And I think that's pretty amazing that we were kind of there for that. 
But when you do these huge arena stadium tours, you do lose intimacy. Mm-hmm. And going into the the specifics a little bit about this show. Yeah, like what did you think of the well, show? Let's let go there. Yeah. What did you think of the show oh, overall? Like overall, the direction, I, lighting, choreo, costumes, all of it. Because this is a full concert for you yeah. to kind of like give your opinion on it. Yeah, and, and it is like hear. a production in, in mm-hmm. ways. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I didn't think it was perfect. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it was my favorite time I've seen her. I've seen her three times now. It was not my favorite. Wasn't my worst. Um, I find that there's an intimacy that is missing in these large arenas, right? Mm-hmm. And one or two songs she was in this, like, I'm, I'm, and spoilers, just to let you all know, if you are waiting to see the Chromatica Ball, it's, she's still going a few more shows, I think. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this, there's going to be some spoilers. <laughs> Unless you are just not seeing it. Um, she did one or two songs in, like, a cocoon thing, right? Yeah. And I thought that was so artistic and wonderful of her. But, like, how much better would that have been if we were seeing her do that at, like, Radio City or, like, somewhere a little smaller where you could have been closer up? So you're doing, like, these huge... It's just I do I don't know like the stage seems small the platform she played the piano on seems small I just thought it could have been bigger ele- elevated level of sound projection lighting pyrotechnics Did, there could have been a few more dancers up there like I just seemed small it almost seemed like they took it out of Madison Square Garden and didn't change anything and just plopped it into a huge <laughs> arena right and kind I thought of, yes. and I thought it was kind of like. Well, when you change to me, I'm I am I get to have the whole podcast about venue because yeah. how many times do we see a show and we're like, that would have been so much better in a bigger venue, or that would have been so much better in a smaller intimate venue. And it always comes down to venue a venue. And I think producers should really be smart about where they put shows and what venues. Mm. I always say that. Broadway or not, right? So for this, if you're gonna do the big venues, I just think it could have been more elevated. Well, it needed venue eye for sure. It needed a venue like eye. Like a stadium eye because she's done stadiums before, but usually it's like the baseball stadium. The baseball so like field. we've seen her at City Field. Yeah. And I actually saw like other um, Chromatica stops that they are those smaller venues. Yeah. So her doing MetLife is probably the biggest one. And I don't know if fully the tour was designed for MetLife. Yeah, but the way I look at it is with the prices you're charging people, you elevate the set for that one yeah. night. And you hire extra crew and you hire extra design to come in and bring a bigger stage in. If that's the – you can't just say, oh, well, that was our biggest one, so we'll just kind of make this work when you're charging the prices that you're – you know, I don't know how I yeah. – that's so interesting to me. But I, I, I think – did you want to say? I was just going to say, I feel like the direction was really cool. I loved the acts. I liked that. I li- I liked the video in between. It gives you like a minute to take a breather. I think there was a lot of vision there. Okay. Yeah. I think, but it wasn't fully executed. Mm. I really hate to say it, but it wasn't, I, it wasn't fully executed. Mm-hmm. It really mm-hmm. wasn't. From direction, you have to be, uh, we say this about Broadway too. You have to be directing a show and coming up with a show concept for every seat in that yeah, arena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for maybe the partial view because, you know, you're still selling those seats, but Mm -hmm. people know what they're getting there. But if I'm paying the money I'm paying to sit in a specific seat that you want to see the full show, you should still be designing for me. Right. And if you're not and you're only designing for the floor, Mm -hmm. then that's a little bit like a cop-out. Yeah. I think. And 
the lighting. So a lot of shows have been doing the lighting where they give you a bracelet yeah. or whatever and the songs. But why did only the floor get Well, it? because when we saw Taylor Swift in that exact venue a yeah. few years prior, we all got risk every single Every seat. single one. That whole stadium felt like you were in unison together because there was like a heartbeat of fans. I really felt stadium. like the floor and the first few rows of the first few sections were who she played to and everyone else on the sides or upstairs or in the back was just almost like you would have thought we were never there. Like it was yeah. a ceiling. Um, so I didn't think she really played to the full. But yeah, the lighting would have been cooler like that. The right. fire was kind of cool. No, the fire was fun. There was yeah. a lot of fun moments throughout yeah. it but also like the screens. Like the dancers literally looked like little ants. And but there was only like, oh, I could be wrong in this number, maybe like 15 of them, 16, maybe 20 at most. I right. think they could have had 50 dancers in that show. I don't know why. Have. The band was also so hidden. I was like, they were under that undercross. Like, bring them out. Like, right. or or get a motion stage that pulls them out for a minute or two while they're playing during the... I don't know. I just thought it was... To me, there was this vibe of like, I'm going to just do the chromatica ball to do the chromatica ball so I can move on. And I and that might that might be perfectly fine. Yeah. But still, at the same time, we people love this album. This yeah. album was supposed to be this whole like it, it was her renaissance, really, in the industry to come back and bring dance back to bring house music and disco elements back to it. Which that's another reason why I'm kind of like, oh, it's a little bit ahead of the time because what is everyone doing now? Mm. Everyone's doing the disco and house movement, and she. Put it out in 2020. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's fun, and and Dua also put it out in 2020 with her most like uh, future nostalgia like right. um, disco right. kind of album. Right. So and I just the set list doesn't really make sense. It to was me. a little odd the order of things. And I don't. Really... I actually think there was more times that there were interludes happening in between the acts, and I felt like she was actually on the stage. Yeah, and that shouldn't be. Yeah, it really shouldn't. Those that could have that it, it felt like those songs took maybe two or three songs that we could have also had in the set yeah. list that were just like yeah. not there. And like to leave out almost all of Joanne, almost all of Art Pop. Yeah, it really. And was those like, are more her more modern ones. And yeah. and I I do. I mean, I I will always say Born This Way is my favorite one. It's my favorite song. I thought there was. Um, an emotion attached to it this time. She spoke a little bit. She performed. I love how she starts the song acoustically and then mm -hmm. it goes into the strong. I, it's my favorite song of hers. I think it's great. I did not really understand the hold my hand encore. I understand it's her newest song for a movie, yeah. but it was all what the feeling I got was like, Hey, I just did this movie and let me just push the song. Cause I just did that. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't really come from a place of like, why did that have to be her last song? I don't know. Right. And also to kind of touch on this, it's like, when you think of a ball, you think you're going to go and you're going to dance and you're going to have a uh, – I felt like some of the people around us were sitting the whole time. Yeah. And I'm like, where, but, where's the dancing? Where's the fun? And to to go in there and act four from shallow to always remember us this way, the edge of glory, these songs were just, just like, like – it was stripped down and it totally killed that vibe of like wanting to dance and be in this ball. Ball right. culture. Ball. Right. Is that what we're talking right. about? Ball like, culture right. here? Because right. it seemed like it was missing. And it was also <laughs> it's also something to be said about like you just did Radio City with Tony Bennett. You just did a Las Vegas residency of jazz standards. So yeah. like you do small, intimate, really well. I've never seen those. I wanted to, but I know that she plays big jazz band, her at a mic and a gown. Amazing. This 
didn't need half of those. It didn't. Like, I don't know what you throw. I did love the tribute to Tony Bennett. She's so emotionally attached to him. And I love that she still talks about him yeah. and that she did a song for him. Fine. I don't think we needed a lot of these slower songs. No. Um, and I love when she sits at the piano and does a couple. Don't get me wrong. No, but it's great and it shows her talent. But I really think what Gaga is starting to do now is she is starting to realize, though, her fans are divided. Mm -hmm. There are the diehard OG Gaga fans that love her pop music, that want to dance, that want to have a good time. And now she has a new little bit of fan base here that people love The Star is Born. They love Shallow. They love these piano ballads. But, like... They're gonna clash, and people are gonna like half of it, and people are gonna not like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that some fans have been giving the show mixed reviews. Many love the show, and many many kind of left the show feeling underwhelmed. I personally felt a little underwhelmed after this show, but it's the chromatic of all, and this question's for everyone. But do you think that as fans, our expectations for everything to be perfect are a little too high? And the question's for you too. I find that it. It, no, because I feel like you should know what you're going into. It's really okay for an artist to have different levels of expectations for different venues at different parts of their life. Mm -hmm. A huge outdoor arena is different than a couple thousand seat theater. Different than singing at a presidential inauguration. Different than, you, you should just know, I think, an audience should know what to expect based on the venue and the music they're about to listen to. It's that's what's brilliant about the music industry. Yeah. Is that you can go see the most intimate of settings of music and the largest and just know as an audience what to expect. It's not just about the artist. It's about an audience member knowing what to expect. And that's where I kind of f feel about expectations for things. Yeah. But, you know, maybe something that might work better is to have no expectation going in. Sure. Well, that's part of it. What yeah. are your expectations? So are people disappointed because they were expecting what? Her to fly across? Like, what they did they expect? Probably. And if they did, then maybe that is. But this would be the place to expect that. Not her and Tony Bennett at Radio right. City, right? So, right. so mm, there is a perfectly, it's perfectly okay to have some disappointment in that. Totally. But she's also getting older, and she may not want to be doing all the crazy stuff she did 20 years ago. I don't know. Who knows? Mm -hmm. I, you know. But I did still enjoy it. Oh, no. And it, I did. It, I, it I've was seen a lot of much fun. worse things in my life than that, you know, oh, totally. for sure. It was a lot of fun. I just think we're talking about the yeah, actual yeah, yeah. overall production of the show. Though, yeah. You know? But it was great. Yeah. We always love Gaga. And it's like, we always say, like, when is she writing a Broadway musical? It's got to come. <laughs> I don't know Definitely. if she would, Or, like, starring in a movie musical or something again. I don't know. I love Little great. Shop of Horrors. With the, yeah. That, well, there was a rumor that she was going to do the movie remake. I don't know. Well, now she's going to do the Joker remake, which is going to be a musical. Yeah. So, so okay. There, there we there go. go. So movie we're getting musical. movie musical out of it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move over to um, genre area. We're going to change it up a little bit this week, but we're going to talk about pop music samples. And we're going to talk about some old school samples and some new school samples, but... Uh, just to give a little bit of like overview here, but sampling seems like it's something that will never go away. So let's highlight this because I think at times sampling is quite amazing. Uh, me personally, um, for decades, artists have lifted different motifs, motifs and melodies from other artists. And I think where this gets interesting is if the artist can interpret the sound and sample and make it their own then I think it's just something that's going to work. And I, I love hearing that personally. So 
I wanted to highlight some of my favorite classic samples out there Love right it. now. Let's hear it. Okay. And we'll, we'll see what you think about those samples and if it worked or not. But the big one is Madonna's Hung Up, which sampled... ABBA's Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. What did you think about that one? I love that because anything ABBA is like, <laughs> a Gimme, Gimme, Gimme is my favorite ABBA song. You all know I say that all the time. So totally works, obviously. But I think like what Donna did with that too was like she really took that and made it her own. If you didn't know ABBA, you would have thought, oh, this is Madonna's sure. song and it wasn't a cover, right? right? So to hear that, it was like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. this is really good. Mm-hmm. This is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um Next one, Destiny Child's Bootylicious, which sampled Stevie Nicks' Edge of Seventeen. Yeah, this is good. And you're doing the older examples of this, and I like that because sampling is kind of more popular now, but it's kind of always been around a little yeah. bit. You ever wonder, like, who originally wanted to do that and how the rules got set for allowing it? I mean, because you got to be careful. Yeah. You really got to be careful. A lawsuit could be looming at any moment if you do something like that. Well, if right? you're if you're doing a sample, you should know that you need to get the correct license yeah, and yeah. materials to do that. Actually, a lot of sampling did stem from hip hop music mm. and people, um, rappers and artists taking um, a certain track mm-hmm. and then rapping over yeah. it and sampling it in their songs. So, um, what I think Destiny's Child did with. Um, Stevie Nicks' Edge of Seventeen was the same style. Like, they took a beat that was so strong and added it to their own song and flair, mm-hmm. and it was like, oh, wow, this is really this really worked. And me as a kid, I didn't know Stevie Nicks at the time right. when Edge of, uh, right. with Edge of Seventeen, I, but I knew Destiny's Child, right. and I knew that that was such a hook, and I would always hear my parents say, like, oh, they're using Stevie Nicks' song. Yeah, and yeah, I was like, right, what is Stevie right, Nicks? Right, 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 right. <laughs> But and this is actually it leads into my next one, which is exactly the same. But Jessica Simpson had a song called "I Think I'm in Love," and it sampled John Mellencamp's "Jack and Diane." Yeah, another one. I, what did you think of that one? That's great too, and it's I love fun. Jack and Diane. You know, yeah. It's a classic, I mean, we so. all know Jack and yeah, Diane. Yeah, yeah. But I always remember this from being a kid. And uh, we would be in my dad's car, and we'd be on the classic rock station, uh-huh. and all of a sudden we would hear. Um, the start to that song and we would be like oh my god it's Jessica Simpson and then the John Mellencamp would start singing and we'd be like no yeah, 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 yeah. I gotta get the best of both worlds and it was so funny because we were like oh wow this song she really took that song as well and it was like oh wow this is perfect yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Well, I have a few examples of some songs that are using sampling now in the modern day, right? Oh, coming to uh, me with some pop mod- songs. Yes, <laughs> I do. So obviously, we talked about this last time, Beyonce, Summer Renaissance, mm-hmm. right? Sampling Donna Summer, I Feel Love. Anyone who's going to sample Donna Summer, like, yes, right? So I love that. I, what do you think of that one? Uh, that, I love that one. That's like love- one of my favorite songs on that whole album. You know, what was so cool about hearing that, and it was like that wow factor, you're listening to Renaissance, and you get to that song, and... It's the slight touch of Donna Summer's I Feel Love, and you're like, and you're like, oh, wait, Summer Renaissance. Oh, we get it. It's like the Renaissance of Donna Summer and her disco house music. So smart of Beyonce. So smart. Really just taking that song and making it her own. They have Nicki Minaj, Super Freaky Girl, sampling Rick James, Super Freak, and everyone like loves that. I think yeah. that works. I, mean, I that's totally like a pretty obvious. And one. it's silly and fun, and I love it. I yeah. just think that's great. Everyone knows that song. You know? It's fun. She did that with like um, Anaconda uh-huh, when uh-huh. she uh, sampled Sir Mix a Lot's Baby Got Back yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but that one's fun. That mm-hmm. one, I mean that that's a pretty obvious one. But I, they're actually thinking that that's going to debut at number one, oh. and it will be the first time a female rapper 
has debuted at number one. Wow, okay. We'll, we'll go see. for her. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe we'll bring that up again. <laughs> and my last example being Lizzo Girls sampling Beastie Boys Girls, which is great. Yes. And that whole Lizzo album's great, but that specific <laughs> sampling of that is really great. Yeah, she really, that's another one where she took it and made it her own, just rapping on that, and it, that's a fun track. You know? uh, yeah, and so sampling music, yes. this question is for everyone that is listening and for you, Jeff, as well. Mm-hmm. Do you like sampling or do you hate it and why? Okay. I personally love sampling. I love it when an artist can either take something that maybe was bad and make it good and reinterpret it. So either with that being a sampled cover or just sampling it throughout the song, but also just hearing something that you do love and hearing it again, it's like an automatic ad for me. You Mm -hmm. know, it just works for me. But yeah. I would say I like it most of the time. Mm -hmm. I think when you sample something, it's kind of like cooking. Like you can't use too much of an ingredient or too little. You have to like blend it in a little. They got to taste it. Mm -hmm. Maybe add a little more. I think a really smart music producer can really sample the right way. And all these examples, I feel just taking a clip of a song, throwing it in. It doesn't get them like stir the soup a little, mix it up. Get it. That's why I kind of feel it sampling. Most of the time it's great. I really like it. Adds the flavor. Yeah. Yeah. It adds the flavor to a song. But, you know, to me, I just the, I see it as artists are getting inspired. It is inspiration. They hear a song and they're inspired by it and they want to pay maybe an homage mm-hmm. to that song and keep it alive. Mm-hmm. It yeah. also blends generations together. If you're choosing a song from the 70s or 80s to f- sample, you might be getting older people from that generation like, oh my God, I love that they just did that. Like they took a song I love and a song that sounds like a young song and they... You know, it brings people together, literally, on a dance floor, I think, in a wedding or wherever, you know, so I love it. For sure. I think what's interesting now that's happening with sampling, though, is it's moving into our territory of music that was coming out in the late 80s, the 90s, and early 2000s, -hmm. and that's starting to get sampled again. So what our parents were saying is, we're now them. Yeah, right. (laughs) So in the 60s and 70s and early 80s, we're getting sampled by artists in the 90s and early 2000s. It's just now happening to us. Right, exactly. And we're starting to be like, oh, wait, that was our song. And it's this, like how history just repeats itself. It's so funny. Right, so. right, right. But yeah, so. Oh, my gosh, oh. we're wrapping it up. We're almost we're, out of time. Yes, we're almost out we're of time. We're moving on to our now. favorite end of our pop episode segment, yes. which is. Pop or flop. Pop or flop. This is where flops. I bring five songs to the table here, and Richie will decide if it's a bop or a flop. And I have some. Uh, fun facts. I have some fun facts yes. about each artist, too. So we're going to start with Megan The Stallion. She just released her second studio album, and the lead single. Well, the lead single from the album getting released is Her. What do you think? Love it. Love her. Love her and love her. I really like it. And I really like her. I would totally see her live. I think she's great. She's just great. I don't know if she's doing a tour. I don't know. Remember that time we thought she was going to open for Dua Lipa and then she she didn't. didn't, Yeah, but but I really like her. Her and her. (laughs) Bob, yes. This is off the second studio album. It's her follow-up to her 2020 debut album. And with this album, everyone, Megan wants you to... She just wants to take you through so many different emotions. Yes. Great. Let's feel it. Um, we have Chapel Rowan, one of my favorite um, up-and-coming pop stars, but she has Feminomenon. <laughs> yeah, that's a great tongue twister there. Um, what do you think? I She's growing on me. 
And I like this, and I would put it up Bob. I wouldn't say I would say Bob for all our other stuff, personally, but this specific song, yes. It's got a great, cool mm-hmm. vibe to it. So I would bop it. I would bop it. Uh, fun fact, um, she is actually performing tonight in New York City okay. at the Bowery Ballroom. All right. Um, I think that she's one to keep an eye out on in this pop industry. She recently opened for Olivia Rodrigo on some of her tour dates, and she's actually working with the same producer as Olivia Rodrigo, Dan Nero, on her upcoming album. So okay. let's see what happens All there. Right. Great. Uh, we have newcomer here, Maddie Mars, with Ugg. Um, what do you think? Love it. I was really loving it. Bop for sure. Bop. I love the energy of the song. It goes somewhere. I always say a song really has to kind of go somewhere for me. Love it. This is a fun song. I definitely totally. want to know what people think about this song. Yep. Um, Maddie says that Ugg is about the constant struggle of wanting everything to work out as you see it, but knowing you ultimately have no control of the divine timing in which your blessings unfold. Mm. Toxic positivity, to be short. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Interesting. That's a good song for you. Okay, I guess. <laughs> I'm always trying to make everything work out, so nice, nice. Okay, another newcomer here, Caitlin Butcher, Angel on My Shoulder. This is nice. I think, I don't know who this is, but I really like the song. It's got a good message to it. I would totally put it at Bob. It's got this, like, angst to it, which I really like. Yeah. I hope I can hear more from her, because I think that was a nice song. Yeah, that was fun. I like that one, too. Uh, Caitlin described the song as, the song means a lot to me. It's about trying to find the good in all the bad and the struggle of picking the good over the bad in today's world. Mm, Yeah. Makes sense today. Angel on the Shoulder. There we go. And then lastly, we have Brayden the Young, Give It Time. This I really like. I love this. <laughs> I, I'm giving all straight bops this week. Straight Because bops. I really thought it was great. I love it. I would like go see this person perform this live. I, I think this is a great song. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm really into it. This is the first time Richie's ever given five. I'm always honest with my opinions. Bops. I'm never saying it's bop <laughs> or flop for any old reason. I think these are great bops, all five of them. Good, I love good it. choices this week. I love it. The fun fact about Brayden is this is off of Brayden's debut album, Super. This album is full of his signature electronic R&B meets indie rock approach, and it was all recorded in his home in Portland. Oregon. Oh, very cool. So Mm -hmm. that's really cool and unique that artists today are just really getting to make stuff in their home. Love it. Yes. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this podcast. So please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and Apple Music and leave us a review if you love what you heard today. We also want you to join in on our conversations and engage with us. Um, Head over to Instagram and TikTok at Half Hour Podcast and comment on the latest posts about this podcast that you see. We would love to hear from you. And we would also love for you to just start consuming all of our new content that we're putting out putting on content. TikTok. TikTok and Instagram, and Instagram Reels. Check it out. We always have new videos, new little mini series we're starting. Broadway and pop and the mashup of the two and separate Broadway ones and separate pop ones. Yeah, definitely check yeah. it out. And we have some uh, next episode will be a Broadway episode. We'll find out what that is mm, next it's week. It's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> so until next time, I'm Jeff. And I'm Richie. Signing off for now. Saying ta-ta. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 